Chapter forty six of the Vicar of Bullhampton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Vicar of Bullhampton by Anthony Trollope. Chapter forty six. Mr. J. of Warminster. The vicar had undertaken to maintain Carrie Brattle at Mrs. Stiggs' house in Trotter's Buildings for a fortnight, but he found at the end of the fortnight that his responsibility on the poor girl's behalf was by no means over. The reader knows with what success he had made his visit to Startup, and how far he was from ridding himself of his burden by the aid of the charity and affections of the poor girl's relatives there. He had shaken the Startup dust, as it were, from his gig-wheels as he drove out of George Brattle's farmyard, and had declined even the offer of money which had been made. Ten or fifteen pounds. He would make up the amount of that offer out of his own pocket, rather than let the brother think that he had bought off his duty to his sister at so cheap a rate. Then he convinced himself that in this way he owed Carrie Brattle fifteen pounds, and comforted himself by reflecting that these fifteen pounds would carry the girl on a good deal beyond the fortnight, if only she would submit herself to the tedium of such a life as would be hers if she remained at Mrs. Stiggs' house. He named a fortnight both to Carrie and to Mrs. Stiggs, saying that he himself would either come or send before the end of that time. Then he returned home and told the whole story to his wife. All this took place before Mr. Quickenham's arrival at the vicarage. "'My dear Frank,' said his wife to him, "'you will get into trouble.' "'What sort of trouble?' "'In the first place, the expense of maintaining this poor girl, for life, as far as we can see, will fall upon you.' "'What if it does? But as a matter of course, she will earn her bread sooner or later. How am I to throw her over? And what am I to do with her?' "'But that is not the worst of it, Frank.' "'Then what is the worst of it? Let us have it at once.' "'People will say that you, a clergyman and a married man, go to see a pretty young woman at Salisbury.' "'You believe that people will say that?' "'I think you should guard against it for the sake of the parish.' "'What sort of people will say it?' lord trowbridge and his set on my honour janet i think that you wrong lord trowbridge he is a fool and to a certain extent a vindictive fool and i grant you that he has taken it into his silly old head to hate me unmercifully but i believe him to be a gentleman and i do not think that he would condescend to spread a damnably malicious report of which he did not believe a word himself but my dear he will believe it why how on what evidence he couldn't believe it let a man be ever such a fool he can't believe a thing without some reason i dislike lord trowbridge very much and you might just as well say that because i dislike him i shall believe that he is a hard landlord he is not a hard landlord and were he to stick dissenting chapels all about the county i should be a liar and a slanderer were i to say that he was but then you see you are not a fool frank this brought the conversation to an end. The vicar was willing enough to turn upon his heel and say nothing more on a matter, as to which he was by no means sure that he was in the right, and his wife felt a certain amount of reluctance in urging any arguments upon such a subject. Whatever Lord Trowbridge might say or think, her Frank must not be led to suppose that any unworthy suspicion troubled her own mind. Nevertheless, she was sure that he was imprudent. When the fortnight was near at an end, and nothing had been done, he went again over to Salisbury. It was quite true that he had business there, as a gentleman almost always does have business in the county town where his banker lives, whence tradesmen supply him, and in which he belongs to some club. 
and our vicar too was a man fond of seeing his bishop and one who lived to move about in the precincts of the cathedral to shake hands with the dean and to have a little subrisive fling at mr chamberlain or such another as mr chamberlain if the opportunity came in his way he was by no means indisposed to go into salisbury in the ordinary course of things and on this occasion absolutely did see mr chamberlain the dean his saddler and the clerk at the fire insurance office as well as mrs stiggs and carrie brattle if therefore any one had said that on this day he had gone into salisbury simply to see carrie brattle such a person would have maligned him he reduced the premium on his fire insurance by five shillings sixpence a year and he engaged mr chamberlain to meet mr quickenham and he borrowed from the dean an old book about falconry so that in fact the few minutes which he spent at mrs stiggs's house were barely squeezed in among the various affairs of business which he had to transact at salisbury all that he could say to carry brattle was this that hitherto he had settled nothing she must stay in trotter's buildings for another week or so he had been so busy in consequence of the time of the year preparing for easter and the like that he had not been able to look about him he had a plan but would say nothing about it till he had seen whether it could be carried out when carrie murmured something about the cost of her living the vicar boldly declared that she need not fret herself about that as he had money of hers in hand he would some day explain all about that but not now then he interrogated mrs stiggs as to carrie's life mrs stiggs expressed her belief that carrie wouldn't stand it much longer the hours had been inexpressibly long and she had declared more than once that the best thing she could do was go out and kill herself nevertheless mrs stiggs report as to her conduct was favourable of sam brattle the vicar though he inquired could learn nothing carrie declared that she had not heard from him since he had left her all bruised and bleeding after his fight at the three honest men the vicar had told carrie brattle that he had a plan but in truth he had no plan he had an idea that he might overcome the miller by taking his daughter straight into his house and placing the two face to face together but it was one in which he himself put so little trust that he could form no plan out of it in the first place would he be justified in taking such a step mrs george brattle had told him that people knew what was good for them without being dictated to by clergymen and the rebuke had come home to him he was the last man in the world to adopt a system of sacerdotal interference i could do it so much better if i was not a clergyman he would say to himself and then if old brattle chose to turn his daughter out of the house on such provocation as the daughter had given him what was that to him fenwick whether priest or layman the old man knew what he was about and had shown his determination very vigorously i'll try the ironmonger at warminster he said to his wife i'm afraid it will be of no use i don't think it will ironmongers are probably harder than millers are farmers and farmers are very hard that fellow jay would not even consent to be bail for sam brattle but something must be done she should be put into a reformatory it would be too late now that should have been done at once at any rate i'll go to warminster i want to call on old dr dickleburg and i can do that at the same time he did go to warminster he did call on the doctor who was not at home and he did call also upon mr jay who was at home with mr jay himself his chance was naturally much less than it would be with george brattle the ironmonger was connected with the unfortunate young woman only by marriage and what brother-in-law would take such a sister-in-law to his bosom and of mrs jay he thought that he knew that she was puritanical stiff and severe mr jay he found in his shop along with an apprentice 
but he had no difficulty in leading the master ironmonger along with him through a vista of pots grates and frying-pans into a small recess at the back of the establishment in which requests for prolonged credit were usually made and urgent appeals for speedy payment as often put forth know the story of caroline brattle oh yes i know it sir said mr jay we had to know it and as he spoke he shook his head and rubbed his hands together and looked down upon the ground there was however a humility about the man a confession on his part that in talking to an undoubted gentleman he was talking to a superior being which gave to fenwick an authority which he had felt himself to want in his intercourse with the farmer i am sure mr jay you will agree with me in that she should be saved if possible as to her soul sir asked the ironmonger of course as to her soul but we must get at that by saving her in this world first mr jay was a slight man of middle height with very respectable iron-grey hair that stood almost upright upon his head but with a poor inexpressive thin face below it he was given to bowing a good deal rubbing his hands together smiling courteously and to the making of many civil little speeches but his strength as a leading man in warminster lay in his hair and in the suit of orderly well-brushed black clothes which he wore on all occasions he was too a man fairly prosperous who went always to church paid his way attended sedulously to his business and hung his bells and sold his pots in such a manner as not actually to drive his old customers away by default of work jay is respectable and i don't like to leave him men would say when their wives declared that the backs of his grates fell out and that his nails never would stand hammering so he prospered but perhaps he owed his prosperity mainly to his hair he rubbed his hands and smiled and bowed his head about as he thought what answer he might best make he was quite willing that poor carrie's soul should be saved that would naturally be mr fenwick's affair but as to saving her body with any cooperation from himself or mrs jay he did not see his way at all through such a job as that i'm afraid she's a bad un mr fenwick i'm afraid she is said mr jay the thing is whether we can't put our heads together and make her less bad said the vicar she must live somewhere mr jay i don't know whether almost the best thing for em isn't to die of course after they've repented mr fenwick you see sir it is so very low and so shameful and they do bring such disgrace on the poor families there isn't anything a young man can do that is nearly so bad is there mr fenwick i am not at all sure of that mr jay ain't you now i'm not going to defend carrie brattle but if you will think how very small an amount of sin may bring a woman to this wretched condition your heart will be softened poor carrie she was so bright and so good and so clever clever she was mr fenwick and bright too as you call it but of course we know all that the question now is what can we do to help her she is living now at this present moment an orderly sober life but without occupation or means or friends will your wife let her come to her for a month or so just to try her come and live here exclaimed the ironmonger that is what i would suggest who is to give her the shelter of a roof if a sister will not i don't think the mrs jay would undertake that said the ironmonger who had ceased to rub his hands and to bow and whose face had now become singularly long and lugubrious may i ask her it won't do any good mr fenwick it wouldn't indeed it ought to do good may i try if you ask me mr fenwick i should say no indeed i should mrs jay isn't any way strong and the bare mention of that disreputable connection produces a sickness internally it does indeed mr fenwick you will do nothing then to save from perdition the sister of your own wife and will let your wife do nothing now mr fenwick don't be hard on me 
pray don't be hard on me. I have been respectable, and have always had respectable people about me. If my wife's family are turning wrong, isn't that bad enough on me without your coming to say such things as this to me? Really, Mr. Fenwick, if you'd think of it, you wouldn't be so hard. She may die in a ditch, then, for you, said the vicar, whose feeling against the ironmonger was much stronger than it had been against the farmer. He could say nothing further, so he turned upon his heel and marched down the length of the shop while the obsequious tradesman followed him, again bowing and rubbing his hands and attending him to his carriage. The vicar didn't speak another word or make any parting salutation to Mr. J. "'Their hearts are like the nether millstone,' he said to himself as he drove away, flogging his horse. "'Of what use are all the sermons? Nothing touches them. Do unto others as you think they would do unto you. That's their doctrine.' As he went home, he made up his mind that he would, as a last effort, carry out that scheme of taking Carrie with him to the mill. He would do so, that is, if he could induce Carrie to accompany him. In the meantime, there was nothing left to him but to leave her with Mrs. Stiggs and to pay ten shillings a week for her board and lodging. There was one point on which he could not quite make up his mind, whether he would or would not first acquaint old Mrs. Brattle with his intentions. He had left home early, and when he returned, his wife had received Mary Lowther's reply to her letter. "'She will come,' asked Frank. "'She just says that, and nothing more.' "'Then she'll be Mrs. Gilmore.' "'I hope so, with all my heart,' said Mrs. Fenwick. "'I look upon it as tantamount to accepting him. "'She wouldn't come unless she had made up her mind to take him. "'You mark my words, they'll be married before the chapel is finished.' "'You say it as if you thought she oughtn't to come.' "'No, I don't mean that. "'I was only thinking how quickly a woman may recover from such a hurt.' "'Frank!' "'Don't be ill-natured. She will be doing what all her friends advise.' "'If I were to die, your friends would advise you not to grieve, "'but they would think you very unfeeling if you did not.' "'Are you going to turn against her?' "'No. Then why do you say such things? "'Is it not better that she should make the effort "'than lie there helpless and motionless, throwing her whole life away? "'Will it not be much better for Harry Gilmore?' "'Very much better for him, because he'll go crazy if she don't. "'And for her, too. "'We can't tell what is going on inside her breast. "'I believe that she is making a great effort, because she thinks it is right. "'You will be kind to her when she comes. "'Certainly I will, for Harry's sake and her own. "'But in truth, the vicar at this moment was not in a good humour. "'He was becoming almost tired of his efforts to set other people straight.' So great were the difficulties that came in his way. As he had driven into his own gate, he had met Mr. Puddleham standing in the road just in front of the new chapel. He had made up his mind to accept the chapel, and now he said a pleasant word to the minister. Mr. Puddleham turned up his eyes and his nose, bowed very stiffly, and then twisted himself round without answering a word. How was it possible for a man to live among such people in good humor and Christian charity? In the evening he was sitting with his wife in the drawing-room, discussing all these troubles, when the maid came in to say that Constable Toffy was at the door. Constable Toffy was shown into his study, and then the vicar followed him. He had not spoken to the constable now for some months, not since the time at which Sam had been liberated, but he had not a moment's doubt, when he was thus summoned, that something was to be said as to the murder of Mr. Trumbull. The constable put his hand up to his head, and sat down at the vicar's invitation before he began to speak. "'What is it, Toffy?' said the vicar. "'We've got him at last, I think,' said Mr. Toffy, in a very low, soft voice. "'Got whom? The murderers?' "'Just so, Mr. Fenwick. All except Sam Brattle, whom we want.' "'And who are the men?' 
them as we supposed all along jack burrows as they call the grinder and lawrence acorn as was along with him he's a birmingham chap is acorn he's known very well at birmingham and then mr fenwick there's sam that's all as seems to have been in it we shall want sam mr fenwick you don't mean to tell me that he was one of the murderers we shall want him mr fenwick where did you find the other men they did get as far as san francisco did the others they haven't had a bad game of it have they mr fenwick they've had more than seven months of a run it was the thirty-first of august as mr trumbull was murdered and here's the fifteenth of april mr fenwick there ain't a many runs as long as that you'll have sam brattle for us all right no doubt mr fenwick the vicar told the constable that he would see to it and get sam brattle to come forward as soon as he could i told you all through mr fenwick as sam was one of them as was in it but you wouldn't believe me i don't believe it now said the vicar End of chapter 46